Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of speaking to Kelly Chernichan, who is the CEO and founder of Chata.ai, which is a cutting edge platform specializing in NLP driven self-service and analytics that really empowers business users to make data-driven decisions. Before founding Chata.ai, he spent nearly a decade as COO at Circle Cardiovascular Imaging Incorporated, where he executed strategic initiatives in the cardiac imaging industry, from financial planning to innovation and product management. Kelly's diverse experience also extends to new company formation and risk management, making him a seasoned executive with a deep understanding of technology, finance, and business strategy. Welcome to the show today, Kelly. Thanks for having that. Was, that was quite the quite the background there. Quite the feel. Okay, I'll I'll uh, I'll give you a secret, which I haven't told anyone yet. But how I get these bios, uh, if someone doesn't send me their bio, which I never ask, so usually they don't, is I actually will go to LinkedIn. I will just copy their entire experience page, give it yep. a chat GPT, and say, yep. "Give me a good bio on it." Uh, I found it. It's it's got some really. It, it's great at putting it all together, and then I don't have to uh, read through it on the first go around. So. Yeah, that, that's my secret in case anyone needs to make a quick bio. Good way to do it. There you go. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Kelly. Um, the first thing I want to kick this off and ask you, can you explain uh, to everyone a little bit about your background and what got you interested and started in the tech space, AI space, uh, right off of, right, you know, at the beginning? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I actually was going to go into investment banking. So I was doing my master's, I was in business school, focused in financial derivatives and the mathematics around there. Uh, and that was at 2000, I graduated 2007. And that was kind of really where, when machine learning and those things were starting to pick up again. Okay. And so I ended up taking a job at a company creation group with a small seed fund. It was uh, based out of the technology transfer office at UFC. And that's when one of the projects that came across the desk was Circle Cardiovascular Imaging. Or the very early stages of it. So thought it had a lot of uh, commercial potential. Uh, the market was still very niche, but sometimes you want to be the big fish in the in the small pond, uh, knowing that that pond's going to get bigger. Uh, and jumped into things from there, started building the background more around, you know, understanding machine learning, how it works practically in the real world, uh, both opportunities and challenges. And, you know, as a founding group, we saw where we needed to go. Okay. Uh, we knew that technology had to be built to get there. And we just all aligned on on that whole piece, and we were actually one of the early adopters of convolutional neural nets. Uh, like maybe if you look in the history books, we might have been one of the first medical uh, imaging companies to actually use that for image segmentation uh, and quantification as well. So yeah, that's that's kind of the background. The the mathematics from the finance side gave, I'll say, the mathematics background to be able to you know understand how neural networks work and understand a lot of those different pieces so it was an easy transition and then i just then you just have to learn software uh, after that so not that i code on a day-to-day -day basis okay. at all but at least i can uh hold hold a conversation with uh, with the engineers very cool very cool so talk to us a little bit about um you know you have this this experience where you were working at that company what made you decide to uh, kind of jump on this opportunity with Chata.ai? What what made you kind of inspired to to start this company? Yeah, no, I'll tell you the exact date. So uh, we had just uh, done a deal with a very large device imaging uh, scanner device manufacturer, uh, and so I'd been talking to one of the the co-founders who's still the CEO of the company, Greg Agrodnik, just an amazing entrepreneur. 
or uh, and really, really a good mentor. And so I was talking to him about an opportunity that I saw, something we struggled with uh, at the last kind of few board meetings that we had, which was we would show these displays or these dashboards and reports in the board meeting. And what typically happened was there was about, I don't know, 10 questions that just got fired right off the bat. And a lot of the time, uh, we weren't able to answer those questions because they're pretty detailed questions, right? Mm. So then it's the typical, okay, well, we'll get back to you on that one because we got to go and you know run, run another report, go get something out of the database uh, and return that information. And that's when uh, I had started doing some work in computational linguistics, right? So this is, this is the earlier days of, and uh, thought that there's a potential there there is a potential that we could use natural language and actually have that translated to database query language in a robust way okay and so that was you know we worked on a transition plan wanted to start the company again similar blueprint knew where things were going to go but that there's still technology that needed to be developed to get there there's de-risking that needed to be done everything else and then so we began a multi-year research and development journey towards uh, towards what we've what we've built today. That's incredible. Talk to me a little bit about like your process. So you're you want to start this company. Um, I'm assuming you you spoke with uh, your mentor about this. You're you're gonna have to to leave your your old company. Was um, was this a spinoff company? This is a brand new thing. Um, did you go look for co-founders? Did you look for investors? What would is like? What was the process of, of starting that? Yeah, it was. It was. It was not a subsidiary or anything. It was just my own thing, uh, my own money to start as well. Uh, so it was just something that you know. Sometimes getting co-founders together, everybody has to be totally aligned, and I had like a very, very specific. Uh, a strong vision of kind of where where I was expecting things to go. I talked to a few other a uh, few other people as well, but I don't don't think we we're totally aligned right off the bat. Uh, so I got things going, outsourced a little bit of work, and then at that standpoint is when you started putting the team around. So effectively, not a not a uh, founder off the bat, but your first three to four people in the company are, are co-founders, as far as I'm concerned. Right? So our CTO. You know, our CTO Reg Ouellette, who was down in uh, in uh, Las Vegas as well at the AI4 conference, uh, you know he he's effectively a co-founder as well. So uh, yeah, did that and again just aligned everything together, made sure that we weren't just crazy and this was something that was actually achievable, not just you know as you see in the AI space nowadays, everybody wants is like magical AI that'll do everything mm-hmm. for them, which you know is, is still a pipe dream now. Uh, but where could we actually apply the technologies itself and really provide value in the real world scenarios, right? Uh, and so he came from the telecom background, handling you know, billions and billions of rows of data coming into a system, how that gets managed. And, you know, we aligned to who, what type of market we wanted to, to go for and where we could make the, the biggest impact. Very cool. Very cool. Talk to me a little bit about, like, explain, I guess, to the audience a little bit about exactly what Chata does um, and, uh, you know, the problem that it's solving for customers. Yeah, so the easiest way to think about what we do is it's, we're just like Google Translate, except instead of translating human to human language, we translate human to database query language, okay? And we do that to real two core technologies or two core pieces of IP. The first is 
uh, the the buzz term of today, which is generative AI. But we we used to call it natural language generation. That's how you kind of test if, uh, if uh, people in the NLP space. Yeah, because it. Okay. I mean, it's just a different different way. I mean, okay, architecturally, it's a little bit different. But the point is, is we use generative AI to build high quality training data. Because every single data warehouse database is unique in structure, it's unique in business logic, everything else. So it's not something you could just plug a pre-trained model into and it just works out of the box. Okay. So we use generative AI to connect to. So we we connect to a warehouse and we have our own technology which generates high quality training data, right? And yeah. the old adage in AI is only as good as the training data that, that it's that it's actually learned on. So we do that, and then we also have uh, another system, which uh, it's an automated training controller. So there's a lot of different things like automated uh, hyperparameter tuning, as well as the ability to create new training data for itself as well. So we've built everything in a really strong pipeline to be able to rapidly build custom language models for uh, uh, our customers' uh, proprietary databases and data warehouses. And then also deploy those models in their environment. So not one piece of proprietary data ever leaves the entire system. Nice. Nice. That's very cool. Wow, that's a, that's an incredible technology there. Talk talk to me a little bit about um how you're how you're helping in reducing data request backlogs for businesses. I understand that's probably a big feature, right? Yeah, that that's the primary like when we think about a, an ideal customer profile there's really two key areas. One, it's an enterprise or even an ISV who's servicing their customers, but they have a big data request backlog, right? I mean, you can only put so much information in dashboards, but those dashboards are uh, aggregated views uh, that then get fed into there. So when you aggregate views, you've lost all that detailed information and the ability to join all that detailed information between tables, uh, and everything else. And so you constantly have these analysts having to go write custom, if the database query language is SQL for them, they're writing custom SQL reports. Uh, business user has more requests. They see something in their dashboard and then there's something else they want to know, but they can't drill down or drill through those aggregated views. So it's this, it's this, you know, this, this backlog like you talked about. So that's ICP part number one. The second one is personas that require on-demand access, okay? So this is why the financial markets is a really important uh, vertical we're working in. Retail is another one. You can't wait two weeks uh, for information to get back. And in certain cases, it's two months with a lot of enterprises for custom reports. You need to make decisions quicker, right? Now, on that backlog side, that's the data analyst backlog. What we've found and what the research has shown is there's the shadow backlog. We call it the shadow backlog, okay. which is an order of magnitude more questions the non-technical business users have. They never end up asking because it's going to, you know, the data analysts are way too busy. It's going to take too long for them to get the data right. back. They just stop asking, right? I mean, it's human right. nature. You and I probably do it, all, you know, do it all the time. And so that, that shadow backlog, when we talk about tightening economic conditions and everything else, that is where you drive the ROI from the data warehouse and digital transformation investments that these enterprises have actually made. And so that, from a positioning standpoint, is, is where we go. And then between you and me, the analysts, um, 
do, well, I guess there's probably some analysts uh, listening as well, but they will resonate with the fact that there's nothing more boring than writing basic, you know, uh, SQL statements to grab very simple reports uh, for business people. They want to be working on advanced analysis. And in certain organizations, the data analysts are also in the machine learning, uh, you know, doing machine learning projects. That's the stuff that adds ultimate value. So we're kind of there to clean up all that. Okay, you have data requests. We'll handle the data requests at volume. The really complex analytics stuff, that's what the data teams do. They love it. We're aligned from there uh, and uh, and move forward very cool yeah that that uh makes a lot of sense and you know you mentioned uh those analysts there so i believe like your solution it's it's really designed for non-technical business users but also it sounds like analysts really love it so what features have kind of made it appeal to both of those demographics well the main i mean yeah the main features there's a lot of data analysts out there who are incredibly proficient with database query language okay. uh building so in that case, we can help from there, but the the system is an API first. Like the system is more of a developer platform than anything else. Okay, I like it. It can be embedded anywhere, everything else. So there's things like Microsoft Excel plugins and all those. So data analysts who who have models built within Microsoft Excel, and there's a lot of them, right? Uh, the their pain point is they just can't just get the source data into their Excel file. So the plugin allows them to query the warehouse, which then brings the data directly into Excel. And all they have to do is highlight the cells they want for their predictive model from there. Uh, primarily though, it is the non-technical user. They're basically just stuck. But the analysts like it because again, it takes that basic reporting backlog off of their uh, desks, right? And when you think about an organization who says, look, we have to do this faster we have to get information to our uh, non-technical decision makers faster. The only way to solve that problem without kind of solutions like we work on is to hire more people, right? And that's the only way to do it, right? So we're not there uh, to, to say, hey, now you don't need all these people. We're there to say to eliminate this backlog, you don't have to bring on a bunch more headcount for something that technology is actually solved. Uh, yes, that makes a lot of sense. And I can see some some serious benefit to businesses from that. So I've noticed you have mentioned that you've done some partnerships. You've, you've done partnerships with some big names, Microsoft, Snowflake, a, a handful of others. Talk to me a little bit about um, how you initiated those conversations with those companies, what those partnerships look like today, and, and maybe how those are um, helping you and, and your customers. Yeah, so uh, you know, partnering with Snowflake is is a is more of a new thing, but yeah. they're they're a really good uh, you know a really good uh, have strong partner potential because you know they are a very well respected brand name um, out there, and and to be honest with you, the majority of our projects so far are actually Snowflake data warehouses, right? Uh, there's some you're seeing a big big increase in Databricks as well. Yeah, uh, but it, but a lot of them are, are really around a Snowflake, where they can take their SAP data and their and their Salesforce data and put it together in Snowflake, and and now you have the warehouse that that uh, that uh, has all that information that you can uh, query from uh, from there. Uh, Microsoft is very is a commercial, very much a commercial partnership, okay. uh, which is um, you know you have these big big consumption amounts that uh, organizations uh, pay for. Uh, they want to look for value add systems uh, and tools that 
they can establish within the enterprise to drive more ROI on their their investments from that standpoint. So we are part of Microsoft Transact. So uh, a, a purchase of, of our system uh, can work uh, via the uh, you know through those those consumption commitments that are uh, becoming more and more uh, important on a day to day basis. And we do use um, you know. We, we use lots of systems. We're multi-cloud. We can deploy in a bunch of different clouds, uh, but we definitely see, uh, especially Azure, lots in the enterprise. And so we've been able to leverage some of those uh, tools and systems with model deployments and everything else. So we have some strong technical ties there, but Microsoft has been a, a really, a really good partner, uh, you know, opened some, some good doors for us, uh, which is always as you know, in, in startup land, that's one of the most important things. Totally, 100%. Um, so talk to me a little bit about it, about like who your ideal customer is for this product. Is this something that's primarily used, like you've done partnerships with these big companies, is this something primarily used by large corporations? Do small businesses use this? Who's your, you know, who's your, your typical customer for this? Yeah, enterprises for sure. Um, we had looked when we were first de-risking the model or de-risking the actual technology. We we pre-trained some models for the QuickBooks uh, data warehouse and the Zero data warehouse and actually Stripe as well, all right? Because they published their object model, everything else, um, and and as part of that, to get the most possible users and the most possible queries through the system, you deploy that, right? So we created an app, put an app around it, and deployed it from there. The system did extremely well. But the distribution channels and getting that out to the small businesses, it, it, it normally goes to resellers at the end of the day. And, mm -hmm. and so the, the, I wouldn't say the product market fit, but I would say the, the, the market distribution fit was not super strong. But that was never where we were intending to go. We're always intended to go to the enterprise, right, as a, as a key validation step, and then also be able to deploy the entire system out so that... Uh, do-it-yourself people could actually use our technology to build their own proprietary language models uh, internally within the system. So we started that way, but we 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 absolutely target enterprises with those two factors I was mentioning before, with data analyst backlog uh, and and the need for on-demand that data access. And right now we're in the nice spot that we're getting so much inbound demand uh, on this. Which is, you know, well, you know, I think when we were talking at the AI4 booth, you saw there's a bunch of other yeah. kind of people even came by as well. And that's because of the advent of ChatGPT. And now even some of the way people are, are finding us on searches is, is via that as well. Because we don't do all of the things that these autoregressive LLMs, these pre-trained ones do. We have a very specific area, which is database query generation, which those systems actually don't do very well and it's highly risky to do that. Right. So we formed in a nice little area in there. And so in the enterprise, as you know, ChatGPT and these other uh, these other big LLMs, they're being adopted. They're adding tons of value, all those other pieces. So we're driving as part of that wave uh, and we are getting lots of inbound because of that. That's very cool. Buzz that's being created. That, that's amazing. And I think it's really interesting, too, like you obviously are not brand new in the space you know you've been looking at the space for a long time working at the space at a long time for you what do you think like one of the biggest differentiators between you know chata is versus maybe some of these new players that are trying to come into the space today where do you see 
uh, you know, the most value and differentiation. Yeah. So, so a lot of the new, like a lot of the new entrants trying to use the LLMs, they're actually not doing anything different than the business intelligence tools have done for the last year and a half, two years. Right. So there's like Tableau as data, SciSense as a system, a few of the other ones. But when you look into the docs, they have the language model or they have the interface based on that view, right? Which typically is limited to the number of columns, maybe 50 columns. Power BI is the same thing. So those new systems coming in, what they do with the LLMs is they create a view and then prompt the LLM with a view, okay? okay. So you don't have to worry about joins, complex subqueries aren't there. There's a whole bunch of things that just aren't supported, which like you said, we've been doing this for a long time. There's a lot of real difficult practical things when you're building database queries. But the biggest challenge is when you're using gener again, we use generative AI on the training data side of things. If you use it on the inference side of things, you need to be absolutely consistent every time because you have a bad join in a database query and you can bring that entire system down, mm. right? So we all know because we've all worked with these things and work with uh, the, the big LLMs on a day-to-day -day basis, they don't need to be 100% perfect, nor are they. We just need to get 90, 95% of the way there. We can take that stuff, copy, paste, you know, change it however we see fit, right? And then we go from there. But generating database queries is very different. You need to have the system designed and trained for that particular structure. So even a simple question like, um, you know, uh, uh, change in monthly sales for product XYZ and region XYZ during campaign XYZ. Like that detailed information that we work with, that exact question in the exact same company type would be two fundamentally different uh, database queries because that's dependent on the thing. And you can't prompt uh, an LLM with an entire uh, a warehouse schema, right? Right. Uh, it's just, it's lots, there's con there's conflicts. You just, you just don't get. So a lot of the people that have been trying this area now, and to be totally frank with you, uh, we're not the first choice in a lot of these cases. A lot of these large organizations, they try, they've tried to go with this. With mm. the yellow, and then they come to us, and I can't name any names, but actually a few in the last two weeks have come to be like, we've tried this. It just doesn't work. It's not consistent. Uh, we've tried all the guardrails and everything else we can. Uh, it's not going to do the database stuff. It does our document search and everything else we need, which is really, really what it's quite strong at. Uh, but we need a different solution. Can you integrate in this type of entire entire environment together? And and that's when we say absolutely. The API and it just you call our API when you wanna when you want a query that needs information from a data warehouse. That query will make the joins do the calculations, anything else that's actually required. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so I can see some massive value that this is obviously adding, but I'm super curious. You've been at this for a while, and but because this there's this whole new kind of wave of hype and interest and a lot of companies, as you say, are, are kind of reaching out to you now, What what's kind of new or what's next on the horizon for Chata.ai? Are there any upcoming features or improvements that you're you guys are looking at that you can uh, share with us? Yeah, I mean, we're all, we're always trying to improve. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a new technology that we're just rolling out now. Okay. So uh, we can, in the past, 
we were able to train a custom language model in about, depending upon the size of the warehouse, in about 48 hours. That's kind of what, what the training would actually take. Okay. Okay. So that's what it takes from there now. And then you iterate on the model because people want to add new columns or new tables or anything like this. It's, that, that's the way. So the thing's set up for, for iteration for sure. So that 48 hours now with this new rollout, we've actually dropped that to one hour. Wow. So we can have a language model trained in one hour. The thing nobody talks about in the space is how expensive it is to have large language models actually run, let alone train them. Yeah. Right. So now all of a sudden a team can iterate on models and they got to wait one hour for it to actually trade to be able to use right away. Okay. So I can't go too much deep into the technology, but it's about, you know, instead of using a sledgehammer to hit every single nail in, right? You can have specialty hammers that can work together to still get the job done, right? As long as they can work yeah. together, right? Yeah. So, so you know, you pointed out before we've been working on this a long time. We've gone through lots of different iterations, tried lots of different things. Our la uh, the, the last system we had has been working incredibly well. Uh, this is a way that we make things much quicker, much more economic and everything else. And then the second piece would be around... Um, there's a lot of information that can be generated from from these these questions that people are actually asking, right? And so we have a, a really really strong research direction in understanding that, trying to help people reason through certain analysis, uh, and the, and those types of pieces as well. So we have a really robust uh, R and D plan. Uh, our kind of core system now is is. Yeah, I mean, now now is the time. So now we've hit the market. You know, three years ago, where we're we're early to market, people quite right. weren't ready for something like this. But <laughs> again, because of our friends at OpenAI and Microsoft, and now everybody else, they're pushing the conversational because the chatbots kind of wrecked it for everybody. Right, right. Everyone is like conversationally. I don't want to touch out the ten foot pole. And so now the automated, oh, this stuff actually works. And so now right. things are pushing forward. But there is a very bright future in that area. Uh, with without a doubt for sure, and that's the reason why you know we're uh, we're raising a 10 million US round because we have this pipeline to execute on, which is absolutely amazing, very very good brands, but we have to keep that R and D engine pumping because we got a lot of good, really strong ideas that we were ahead uh, in a lot of areas, right? So. You know, when uh, GPT-4 came out, everybody's like, oh, that's not one model. That's actually a bunch of different models that are kind of working together. That's exactly the architecture. Yeah. Right now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that like our, ours is that massive and can do all the things there. But for our little, our little corner of the earth in the natural language to database query language, that's the philosophy that, that we took. And our team's very brilliant. They're very strong and they come up with a lot of really interesting ideas uh, and as a startup, we can execute uh, quite quite quick on those ideas for sure. That's very cool. And one thing I do want to highlight that you said there, because I think it's really interesting. You know, I know you can't go in too much into the tech, but you you know you mentioned not using a sledgehammer to do something, but kind of smaller, um, more accurate hammers. I think you guys are absolutely on the right track there. Be, um, a bunch of research that we've seen out of Google DeepMind, for example, um, they they just trained a new chess model where essentially it beat alpha zero because what it did is they spun up 16 individual like chess model players and they all trained them with slightly different styles 
And then instead of having one kind of major sledgehammer, as it were, to play the game of chess, they have the 16 all going against each or like collaborating and deciding which of the 16 had the best move. The same thing when opening. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. It's the ability that these different models can pass information back and forth. You, you're exactly correct. That is really cool. And in addition, um, when OpenAI's GPT-4 model weights were leaked, it was found that uh, they have 16 experts within GPT-4 that when you have your queries, it, it, you know, it collaborates with all of that. So I think 100% you guys are on the right direction. I'm super excited about your $10 million round. Um, I think you guys are, I, the, the companies that I see successful right now, raising successfully and really killing it in this industry are companies like yourself that have been in this for a long time. It's maybe not the newest thing, but it's something that has a really solid tech background. And now you're taking this to the next level. You have the perfect position to be a really powerful launch pad, um, pushing forward your technology. And uh, you, you know, the, the, the tech's already there. Now it's time to take it to the next level. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really excited for you guys. I think you'll be incredibly successful in that. Listen, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, for sharing your insights. Really excited about what you guys are building over at Chata AI. If people want to try out Chata or if they want to get in contact with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, they can go to our website or or they can just reach out uh, uh, directly to me as well. Um, I can I can leave my uh, my email contact information with you uh, when you post that. And, and, uh, yeah, no, happy to, uh, yeah, to talk to potential partners, uh, investors, whomever, or just, uh, people who are generally interested in the area is always, uh, uh, great conversations for sure. Wonderful. I'll leave that in the description for the show notes. Um, so to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning into the AI chat podcast make sure to rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode, breaking down how AI is impacting your industry. Today's episode is sponsored by AIbox, a no-code AI app builder and marketplace, which just launched a crowdfunding campaign. If you are interested in investing in a new AI startup, you can go to republic.com slash AI box. I'll leave a link in the show notes as well to learn more. The minimum investment is $150 and the maximum investment is $100,000. Until next time, have a fantastic day.